You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. Hey, welcome to the Mom Next Door Stories of Faith. We are so glad that you have joined us. I'm your host, Pam Fields, and today I'm chatting with Raina McIntyre, who it turns out we live about an hour from one another, I think. So I think that would technically like make us neighbors, kind of. But <laughs> I mean, at least we're in the same state. So Raina, you've been on a journey and it hasn't been short. The Lord has stretched you through circumstances and here you are ready to share and minister to others because of that. Now, I'm not sure how far you want to go back, but if you will, would you just introduce yourself and your family and then just take us into your story? Sure. So my name is is Raina and I am actually was born and raised a Hoosier. So I'm from Indiana and my husband and I, we met there and we kind of go through kind of my journey. We have two kids. So we live now in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. We have two girls and we have a, my oldest is 20 and she has special needs. And then I have a 17 year old daughter who is a senior in high school and is in the throes of pursuing musical theater. So mm. we are doing all things college research right now and uh, auditions and all the things. Oh, <laughs> wow. With all that. So it's kind of a crazy season. That is a crazy season, exciting time of life and kind of scary as you like you're, you're standing on the edge, getting ready for this leap and she's getting ready for this leap. Yes. So we yeah. went recently to, to Dollywood Okay, and she wanted to go with her friends for a weekend. And we were like, all right, we'll go as well, but we're going to stay, you know, we stayed in a different hotel and we drove her car down so that she could have her car while down there and navigate the area. And the whole thought process was we're moving towards that next phase in her life. And so I've got to be able to let go as well as, you know, <laughs> and it was a great weekend, but I had a lot of anxiety around it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is practice of letting go. And I'll tell you my first to move out, I think if I remember right, was my daughter when she got married and um, it was just like, one day she's there and the next day she's never coming home because she got married. So it's none of these like um, go off to college and home for the summers or anything right. like that. And then um, another one of my adult sons moved out. And then I had one that joined the army. And that was, again, it was such a sudden break. And it was like, yeah. wow, this is forever. Uh, you know, when you sure. join the army, you're gone. Like it's at least four years. You're yeah. not home for summers. You're just, it's going to be a quick see ya. It, it's huge. It's no, a huge transition in life. Sure. And, sure. uh, but, but that's where we want them to go, right? That's what we want them to do. And yes. that's what we raise them for. So it is definitely <laughs> a time of celebration and adventure. Yes. My story is kind of one of recognizing and coming to an awareness that I suffered with anxiety and depression and probably started early in life, but didn't have that recognition until 
I was faced with a trauma situation where our daughter was diagnosed at the age of six months um, with shaken baby syndrome. And that was a diagnosis that occurred. And it was at the hands of my, um, of one of my best friends. Mm. And so it was a babysitter situation. I had gone back to work and had put her in her care. And then what we ended up finding out at the time that she was diagnosed is that it had not happened once, but it had happened twice. Mm. Um, and we knew about the first, I say, we knew about it. We had her in the hospital a week prior to that night that she was actually diagnosed, but they sent her home because she came to and was doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, and they just didn't catch it that first time around. Right. Second time around, they caught it. We ended up in intensive care and she was in the hospital for six weeks. And then, you know, we started a brand new life essentially of, uh, just therapy sessions and, um, doctor's appointments. I quit my job and, you know, my husband continued to work. So now I was faced with a situation where I was home alone with my daughter and the anxiety of everything just fell over me. I started immediately. I internalized everything, everything that happened. I went from hearing what the doctors were telling me about the time frame that things you know happened in and acknowledging that this was my best friend somebody that I you know I trusted just recognizing that I say recognizing I I internalized everything so I ended up blaming myself for this whole trauma and that sent me down a road of severe depression. Oh yeah. A lot of anxiety, um, some post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. By the time my second daughter came along and when they placed her on my chest, I immediately was like, this is not my baby. And I didn't realize what was going on and why that was happening. It was, she was born three years after my first daughter. And it was our, it was interesting because I just, came to realize the other day that it was five years from the time that my daughter, the diagnosis of being of a shaken baby syndrome and me actually being able to receive help and understanding what was going on inside of my brain. Well, I'm wondering first off, because I'm not, I don't, we know what shaken baby syndrome is, but I, I honestly don't think I have ever met somebody personally who that has touched. So I wonder, does it also always come with a legal battle, uh, charges filed against that person, or maybe it's only when it results in the death of a child? What does that look like in you know, your situation where you you now have a child with disability and, um, obviously that relationship with your friend that now is in a whole new place. Right. So we were immediately, you know, it immediately became a child abuse case the night that she was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And at that point, um, child protective services got involved and my husband and I both were, you know, anybody and everybody that was with her that day yeah. was, you know, interrogated, yeah. we were all interrogated. Um, and, Within days of 
this all occurring, my best friend was charged and it did end up going to court a couple of years later. And that was a long drawn out emotional process as well. There were, while there were charges filed, it ended up in a hung jury. And so Mm -hmm. there, you know, we had the opportunity to retry the case, but I was in such a place mentally where I was like, I I can't do this. Yeah. That um, I begged my husband, you know, because of course, you know, our you know, our husbands, our spouses, they want justice, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And for me, I was in such a dark place that I was like, I can't go through this again. And I just want this done and over with, and I want to move on with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I wanted to move on with my life and thought that I could come to find out, you know, I was still struggling, um, yeah. severely and with my mental health. And, and it takes a while to discover that, right? Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny because when I finally did seek help, I started to learn a lot of the language Mm -hmm. around your, you know, the stuff that goes on inside of your brain. Um, I was diagnosed with OCD and it was at that point in time that I learned about the fact that the recurring thoughts that I had going on inside of my brain were actually called intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. And they were just thoughts they were that were disturbing. And they would come in and they would just play on repeat over and over and over and over inside my brain. So I knew immediately after I was already suffering, um, Mm -hmm. I was already internalizing and struggling. So much of that I've learned through my journey has been a product of just my upbringing, you know, I grew up in the church and as a Christian person, there's just this, like, you have your life all together. You wear your life so that what other people see is good. We need to represent Christ well and make sure (laughs) he looks good to other people. And so we have to have all of our things together Together. because, you know, (laughs) Jesus, like he probably wouldn't be able to fix this if we represent him incorrectly, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so a lot of that script was already written inside of my brain and the, that ended up becoming the pathway. And, you know, growing up, there were, you know, things that occurred in my lifetime, we'll call them mini traumas. Yeah. Um, you know, there was, um, you know, I was molested at the age of 11 and that was something that I didn't, I I didn't have anybody to go to, to talk to, to tell them about it, you know? And so I internalized that immediately as well. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm bad. And this thing that happened to me, was bad. And so I'm bad. And I think that's so much of my journey is just, you know, the, the learning of the script that was written prior to this trauma that occurred mm-hmm. that the two, when they collided with each other, it just made for a really messy situation. And then in the wake of that trauma, I didn't have anybody to go again. I didn't have mm-hmm. anybody to go and talk to. I had, nobody had suggested, Hey, like you've just been through hell, you know, and you need to go and 
talk to somebody and work through all of these different things, you know, between having your daughter shaken by a babysitter, having it be your best friend, having being you having to go through trial and, you know, and being interrogated by a police officer, like, you know, all these different things. If you were not the one held responsible legally and liably for the actual shaking yourself, you're running through this grid of yourself of like, but she's my friend, which yes. I, I chose her to hold my daughter. Therefore, yes. ultimately it's like that, that mind game of, yes. and also taking responsibility in that way. And I went back wasn't. to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. instead of choosing to stay home. Right. Right. So, you know, there's just lots of different, you know, peeling back the layers then of like, what does this all mean? How do I process this out? And and I know what you're saying, because I think that um, now I only started going to church when I was 15. But even even that, I think there there was or is a, an era that says, you know, you should be able to just figure this out, you and God, and you don't really need to bring in a counselor or that bringing in a counselor is a sign of weakness and you can do it all by yourself. I think they're worldly message, but there's also messages within the church that that tell us these things. And I'm realizing that, you know what, if we could have it all together and figure it all out ourselves and do it on our own, then why in the world would God give us community? And why would he send his son to earth right. to, uh, to, to help us walk through and fix these things? Like, being vulnerable and having hardships is yes part of what God uses in our refinement. Right. Well, and it's funny because like in the midst of all of this, what I turned to was what I knew, which mm-hmm. was God. Right. And I found myself obsessively going after anything and everything that I could find. It was, I'm not watching secular television. I'm only watching TV evangelist. Um, I'm not going to listen to secular music. I'm only going to listen to Christian radio and trying to stop the intrusive thoughts was, I was constantly doing everything that I could possibly, you know, seeking out as much information as possible. I would go to the Christian bookstores and just look through the shelves of, you know, and try to find authors that had, you know, information that could help me all these different things. Like they led me to great things, you know, about, you know, learning how to re-wallpaper your mind and, you know, with scripture and all of these great things. And that was all fabulous, but not a single one of them talked about going and seeking help from mm. somebody. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that when I look at now, I'm just, it, it really makes me so sad because I think there is a big gap in the, just that the umbrella of, you know, the church and the, you know, ability to go and, and ask for help and to know that it's okay to go and yeah. ask for help. Yeah. I'm going to link in the show notes, a couple episodes I did with a local counselor, Elisa Allen. And we did talk about that where, you know, what is this, the stigma and can we crush that stigma and say, you know, it's okay to go ask for help. And there's some, some wonderful um, places in scripture where we talk and see, where we see in scripture, um, biblical counsel, you know, we have a different terminology for it. Now we might, 
it might get billed out now where it didn't get billed out then. Right. Right. But, um, but there, there is biblical evidence that finding counsel outside yes. of ourselves is actually a pretty good idea. Yes. As moms, we all have issues in our life and it may not look exactly like the one that you've had to walk through. And now your, your dear daughter is 20, you said, right? So you've been, you've been living this out for a while. And, and I wonder what you could tell us about what you've learned in that balance of keeping your mental health strong and, and that self-care that you've needed to do in, in seeking out help and, and helping you manage the caregiving that you do now. Right. Yeah. I think I shared with you the other day that, you know, it's probably been 13 years that I have now been in counseling and, Mm -hmm. and that hasn't been consistent. You know, it was seven years and then I went for a big gap and then, Uh you know, now back in counseling um, for myself and for our marriage. And so, you know, there's that dynamic as well. And, and as your daughter leaves for college, there'll be another dynamic. Right. There's always something where it's There's like, always something. Oh, yes. I just, I just need another voice to speak into me. Right. <laughs> so, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so that has been something that has been really helpful. Like I said, you know, throughout the process, I've learned so much as far as the brain goes and mm-hmm. how the pathways inside of our brain, they are they're written, but at the same time, we can rewrite those Mm -hmm. pathways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of that for me has been, you know, for years, I lived believing that silence was a friend of mine Mm -hmm. and that silence was something that protected me, Mm. which is why I didn't seek help. And I didn't, you know, because to seek help meant I would have to speak up and talk about what was actually going on inside of my brain. Yeah. But over the course of time, I have learned that that is actually the very thing that was needed. You know, it's interesting because we hear a lot about bringing the truth out into the light and, um, from a biblical perspective. And, you know, part of what I learned was that shame is, blame is shame. We'll say it that way. Blame is shame. And the way it was described to me is that it's kind of a circular cycle. And, you know, I had so much self blame. And so there was a ton of shame underneath that, you know, blame that was occurring. As I learned more about my my brain and my story and the journey, you know, it was talking about, I I learned about what's called the sin shame cycle and how we have sin and therefore we sin and therefore we have shame and we have shame and therefore we sin. And it's just a circular, you know, cycle, but when we are able to stop and bring what is in the dark out, then we're able to stop that cycle. And so I think for me, that has been one of the, you know, key components is learning that it's okay to, to tell others what's going on inside of your brain. And, you know, for me, it was a very scary process. And, um, but at the same time, it was probably the thing that saved my life. Mm -hmm. Um, just because those thoughts that, you know, are going through your mind, they can literally take you to your knees and, 
in the process of that, you know, happening. And I just learned that, you know, talking about it was, you know, something that needed to happen. And so, and it's kind of funny because like, even right now, I I wrote about my story, you know, three Mm -hmm. years ago and, but it's taken me three years to Mm -hmm. get to this place where I'm even, you know, at a point where I'm able to now talk about it out loud. And so again, it's just that that's something that, you know, I feel like God has continued to teach me. And the story of Esther is, you know, one of the big stories that has kind of, and, you know, encouraged me along the way, you know, she had in her story, this opportunity to either speak up or not say anything at all. Mm. And, and not saying anything at all, her people were all going to, you know, die. It would have brought death. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, her story has been a big part of, you know, my journey of just being able to go. There comes a point where you have to have faith to be able to share and to be able to speak up and see, you know, what that can do in the process, you know, and how that can change the dynamic of a story. A while ago, I interviewed a gal named Jamie Sinsmere, and I'll link that in the show notes as well. And um, I'm trying to think of what the episode was called. I'll I'll put it (laughs) in. I don't remember what the number was or anything, but, you know, she said that for so long, she was living believing these lies and, uh, in, like you said, the intrusive thoughts and, and, and they were like holding her captive. But the, the trick was when she started to speak them out, it was like the enemy could not hold them against her anymore. And I thought that was so powerful when she's like, you know, if I keep it quiet and like, I just figure I'm going to heal by myself. I'm going to quietly ask forgiveness of the people I need to ask forgiveness of. And, you know, we're just going to keep this little circle small. Well, then the enemy just keeps whispering in, you know, that person would treat you differently if they knew the truth about your story. You know, you, who are you to do this? Who are you to do that? Because if people really knew and what she found was so powerful, that verse that talks about, we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And, and, oh, she was so powerful in that episode when she talked about that, because she said, you know what, what I found the power and the word of my testimony is the fact that I'm forgiven and the enemy can't use this against me. That's the power and the testimony that um, he can't torment me saying, you know, if, if you would have, or if people knew I can sit back very boldly and say, you know what? They already know. You know what? I've already had that conversation. Don't even bother holding it against me anymore. So that speaking out, like you're saying it, it is so powerful, um, on many different levels, really. Yes. Yes, for sure. So you said you wrote the book three years ago. Was it published three years ago or was it more recently published? It was published three years ago. Okay. And you did it self-published. Yes. Okay. And it's the story of this whole journey with your daughter, Bella. Yes. Well, it's the story of my recognition of my mental health colliding with trauma and how it taught me that what I believe about myself is more important than what others believe about me. Mm. Wow. That's when we could stop and pause and think about (laughs) a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you know, my daughter has taught me so much, 
mm-hmm. as far as that goes. Yeah. And I feel like God has used her in a mighty way to kind mm-hmm. of show me like, Hey, all these things that you have believed about yourself that were necessary to live this, you know, life of perfection and to constantly be a people pleaser and all mm-hmm. these different things, like on a lot of levels, like that ability isn't with her. And if it's not with her and he still loves her, mm-hmm. then he can still love me as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the, you know, greatest gifts that this journey has given me is, you know, the realization that, um, I don't have to have it all together and that none of us have to have it all together. You know, um, she has definitely taught me a lot about that. Have you, do you feel like you have a deeper understanding or maybe have recognized some different characteristics of God than you, than you maybe would have done or or known had you not walked this? Uh, For sure. I mean, you know, one of the things that I talk about in my book is the fact that I grew up believing that God was an angry God Mm -hmm. and that I was, um, when, when bad things happened, it was punishment. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think one of the, that's one of the biggest things that I've learned is, you know, that in believing that God is a punitive God, I had to learn that as long as I continued to believe that, (laughs) that I was actually, that was keeping me separated from him. Mm. And so I think that is probably one of the biggest things that he's taught me about himself because of all the struggles that we've been through and all the, you know, things that I've had to help her you know, with, and I have learned through that, that there is so much love for me Mm -hmm. and for others. And that he's not, he's not an angry God. And he, yes, we have to face the consequences of our actions, Mm -hmm. but he's not an angry God. Yeah. I think we very easily fall into the idea uh, that we need to be performance driven in our Christian faith. And when you look at your daughter and her special needs and you say, okay, Lord, I know you're not going to be performance based on her. Like you're going to love her and it's not performance based. And so if I can see that and recognize it for her and know that you love me in the same way that you love her, then I can rest in the fact that you just love me. Like how yes. awesome is that? You know, yes. life-changing. Yeah. life Yeah. Huge. Well, as we're chatting here, I want to know, is there, is there anything else that you, you want to really touch on? And, um, we want to hear your heart. And I know, like I said, at the beginning, the Lord has taken you on a very long journey and it, we learn things incrementally, you know? And so, but we're always encouraged when we can hear from somebody who is a little further ahead and, and can share their heart with us. Yeah. Um, I think one of the big things that I just want to get across is that that whisper that we hear from the enemy, the one that is accusing us, Mm 
mm-hmm. is, is a lie. Yeah. And, you know, in my journey, I've really looked at the story of Adam and Eve and how through their process of Eve being deceived by the serpent and then Adam, you know, her eating the fruit and then Adam eating the fruit. And then as that story goes along, you see that Adam, when, when they are finally face to face with God, that Adam blames Eve Mm -hmm. and Eve blames the serpent. Neither one of them take responsibility. Mm -hmm. But what I think is neat is that when we look at that scripture, that ultimately God looks at the serpent and says that he is to blame. Mm. And that is something that has just kind of helped me mm-hmm. through this journey mm. uh, to be able to go, okay, like even my heavenly father says, it's okay. Like, I do not blame you, mm. the serpent. I blame, I blame him because he is the one that is putting that doubt and the intrusive thoughts and, you know, all yeah. those things into your brain. It isn't, it isn't you. Yeah. Well, in our humanity, I think we can get so lost in, uh, what do they say? Lost in the weeds that, you know, we're, we're distracted by many things and, and we just lack that clarity. Um, but to know that the Lord, he does see it. And yeah. even if we are a little clouded and even if we see things, um, maybe even inaccurately, um, and the Lord, but the Lord knows he yeah. knows, and we can yeah. trust him in that. So tell me about your website. I know you're on Instagram, Facebook. I want my listeners to be able to find you. And I'm going to also link all of these in the show notes. So where are you? Sure. Uh, you can find me on RainaMcIntyre.com or I'm on at Facebook. It's Raina McIntyre author. And on Instagram, it's Raina McIntyre underscore author. So those are the three places that you can find me. Mm-hmm. And when they go on your website, they're going to find this great little link for a project that your daughter has. And I want you to tell everybody about that. Sure. So over the last couple of years, my daughter has been begging me to make and sell beaded bracelets. And we tried it a couple of years ago. And at that point in time, I was, I had my own handmade business. And so it was just too much for both of us to, for, for me to help with that one, as well as run the one that I was, you know, doing. However, in the course of the last year, I've laid down my business and am now helping her. And so we have just recently launched Bella Ray and company, and it is her beaded bracelet. She is the one who does all of the beading and the, um, their elastic bracelets. So Uh she's the one who does all of that work. And we are able to pay her hourly based on Mm -hmm. the work that she does. So yeah, that's something that's kind of exciting that we're doing with her now. Yeah, that is so exciting. And it gives her such purpose to know that she's getting to make those things for people. So that's fun. That's really, really fun. I hope people go over and support Bella in that area. That's so good. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart and your journey. And um, I just pray that the Lord will use that in the life of a mom who's listening and, and needs to hear that encouragement because, you know, we know that as God walks with us through these things and we watch him and his faithfulness in other people's lives, we can trust that he's working in ours too. And, and that is somebody needs to hear that today. That's a real encouragement. So as we close out, I wonder if you would just lead us in a word of prayer. Love to. Heavenly Father, I just come to you today and I thank you so much for this podcast, The Mom Next Door, and for Pam and her willingness to sit and talk with different moms from different stages of life. And I pray, Lord, that my story would be a story that is used to reach another, that, and just that you would be able to be honored in my story and that if there are others out there that are in need of help, that they would be able to find you through hearing my story. I thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing and have done. It's in Jesus name that I pray. Amen. Amen. And if you're looking for a community of ladies to chat with about some of these very practical life things, make sure you come find me and my friends over on Facebook at the Tending Fields Moms Group. So I'll look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at Because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true, whatever is known.